And you can't shovel these back. Shovel. <laughs> shovel them back into your deck. Just, you should. Uh, just working in the graveyard. <laughs> I'm working from the graveyard. This is. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Get at work. Okay. Welcome to episode number 88 of The Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how you doing? Yeah, I can't complain. I'm excited to play the new Craftwork set that's about to come out. Very popular. The Craftwork set. So we've got some uh, 80s electronic music, is, is how you're looking at this one? Well, it's called March of the Machine, so I assume it's just the Craftwork guys, and we're just going to get a lot of, like, Autobahns and trains. I haven't really looked at the card list before we do uh, this episode. Well, you should do that very quickly, because okay. this is going to be our uh, fact show for March of the Machine. It's been a while since our last show. Actually, the last one we did was the Phyrexia All is One fact show, because we have both been traveling. I am super jet lagged right now and recording this because I like to record podcasts, but I just got back from Japan and you were traveling as well. Yeah, I was in Belgium for almost two weeks and that happened like right after All is One came out basically. So yeah, we've been busy. We've been seeing the world playing FNMs in other countries. Yeah. So you played an FNM in Belgium. Can you tell me about that? It was an FNM draft like at home, except, you know, you had to ask which language to speak before you started playing. So it was oh, great. Okay. I did not play any magic in Japan, but I did go to Haruya's tournament center in Tokyo and picked up a couple cards there and just kind of tooled around. Also, the Akihabara neighborhood in Tokyo and then in Osaka, the Dendentown neighborhood are both just kind of nerd havens where you, there are all of these card shops, most of which have cards for a million games that are played in Japan I've never seen before, uh, but also usually have magic cards and so it was kind of cool to see how they displayed them and what they had on offer and uh, yeah it was altogether cool but japan's amazing anybody if you're thinking about it go to japan yeah all i can say about belgium is don't go to brussels unless you're going to one brewery it's called cantillon it's great and that's all i'll say about that okay well why don't we get on with it before we get to some facts let's crack open the memory jar all right, our card this week is Rotting Rats. This is one and a black for a 1-1 one, one zombie rat. It was a common originally in Conflux and then reprinted in Plane Chase. It says when Rotting Rats enters the battlefield, each player discards a card, and it has Unearth for one and a black. So I mentioned Conflux and Plane Chase. This is super interesting because those were both sets from 2009, and they made the huge rules changes when Magic 2010 came out in July of that year. So there are major changes in text on both versions of the card. So for example, the plane chase version that we got here replaces comes into play with enters the battlefield, replaces removed from the game with exile and replaces end of turn with beginning of the next end step. So those Magic 2010 changes were a really significant move towards what we see on cards today. Yes, and it's funny because if you look at both of them, if you click back and forth, clearly the original Conflux version is bigger font <laughs> and a yep. little shorter, but it also, I guess it's not as flavorful. 
I never really bought the idea that you had to say enters the battlefield as some sort of like more flavorful way to play the game. But what do I know? Yeah, we'll talk about enters the battlefield a little bit later when we talk about a new card type. Uh, This is a rat. People really love rats in Magic, rat commander decks everywhere, rat colonies and other cards that just let you play a million rats. Going way back to Plague Rat in Alpha, people would be like, oh, Dark Ritual Plague Rats. Sounds amazing. And what's funny is you could only play four Plague Rats. So they had to add all the whole, like, you could play as many rats as possible because everyone cheated with Plague Rats, which I always loved. Yeah, so Plague Rats, for those of you who don't know, uh, had the power and toughness equal to the number of plague rats in play and it counted both sides so you could get into a little plague rat battle if you wanted to i want to read the alpha version of that because i I love it so much it's two and a black for an xx on the original card summon rats and then it says the x's below are the number of plague rats in play counting both sides thus if there are two plague rats in play each has power and toughness two two and then there's like samuel coleridge flavor text which is hilarious we don't do that anymore (laughs) no we don't the other thing rats are known for is they became known for making your opponent discard a card Uh, Mm -hmm. off the top of my head i want to say the first creature that did that as a rat was ravenous rats all the way back in invasion and it's just been a thing since then and rotting rats is kind of like a twist on the traditional ravenous rats type of um rat making each player discard a card instead of just your opponent Yeah, I don't know if we have ravenous rats in the magic card dictionary, but we probably should because those cards are generally referred to as ravenous rats. Yeah. One last thing about rotting rats. It is currently played in modern of all places. It's played in dredge and uh, graveyard decks because there's a lot of times when you just want to discard some dredger in your hand or like a vengevine in your hand and that's a cheap way to do it and you can unearth it so you can Cast it from anywhere, basically. Gross. All right, well, let's get into our main topic and talk about March of the Machine. We're going to do a little change to the fact shows. We're no longer going to talk about the story in our set overview. We're just going to tell you to read it. I mean, I will say that March of the Machine is finally the Avengers Endgame of Magic sets. People had talked about, oh, that's the Eldrazi arc in the Shadows and Eldritch Moonblock. That's the big epic thing. And they said, no, it's the Gatewatch and Nicol Bolas. But I think we finally arrived at the universe slash multiverse destroying situation here. Conflicts on every plane. Yeah, it's kind of wild that they have escalated to this point. It's also funny because it is an excuse for a nostalgia set. So when you're invading every single plane in Magic, you go back to some fan favorites and some obscure ones. And it's great. There's a lot of call-outs, like invasions flipping over to like classic cards like Sarah Angel, for example. And there's also different call-outs with like creatures that are highlighted in each plane. Like, you know, a random satyr you see, for example, is the Theros call-out or something from New Capenna. It's nice. It's a nice little way to like, please everyone and it sort of works and it works for me they put grandmother singer on a card pan so yeah. i'm pretty here for it why don't we talk about the new card types let's talk about battles quickly so these are not enchantments not artifacts they're just battles that's the new card type all of the ones in this set have the subtype siege mm-hmm. which opens the door for future battles that could do something else although apparently there aren't necessarily plans to do those at this time. So quickly how it works is you cast the front side of the battle, choose an opponent to defend the battle, 
and you kind of I don't know I will I will end up putting it on their playmat or whatever with end uh, defense counters where that's the number on the bottom right hand side and then your opponent needs to defend it because if it loses all of its defense counters which you can remove by dealing combat damage to it or using spells and abilities that can target battles deal damage to it or remove counters from it including things that just deal damage to any target those apply then the battle is exiled and you can cast the back half without paying its mana cost. Usually it enters as a creature. There's equipment, there's just spells. There's a mechanic, if I remember correctly, in the Pokemon card game, where when you kill a a Pokemon, you get like a prize for it. It's sort of like that, except Mm. you know what the prize is already. Yeah, interesting. Why do we think, by the way, you cast the backside instead of just exiling them and returning them like other double-faced cards? That means... When you defeat a battle, the backside can be countered. It also means it can be copied, which is something that I will probably try to do at various points. What do we think is the genesis of casting them? I think it's because they're on your opponent's battlefield. So if you didn't cast them and they just transformed, they stay under your opponent's control. Yeah, I guess, well, they'd be under your control, but yeah, that could be confusing if they're on your opponent's battlefield. Uh-huh. I hadn't considered that. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that was just the shortcut because... You have to show you're defending it, right? But it's kind of there. I don't think there's a clean rules way to say when it has no defense counters, put it back on your side of the battlefield. Like it's just it's just easier just to say it. it, it you get to exile and cast it for free. Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. So we mentioned the the siege subtype, and one thing I noticed right away when looking at these cards is that the cards say. When, say, Invasion of Kamigawa, when Invasion of Kamigawa enters the battlefield, tap target artifact or creature and opponent controls and put a stun counter on it. Okay, cool. But in the reminder text for the siege, it says, as the siege enters, choose an opponent to protect it. You and others can attack it. When it's defeated, exile it, then cast it transformed. It says enters rather than enters the battlefield. Do we think this is a trial balloon for replacing enters the battlefield as very wordy text with just enters? Absolutely. It And it makes sense because that's how people shorthand it now. Like, you know, they say when Shriekma enters, it will tear or something, right? Like, that's just easier to say, and it's a lot less clunky than enters the battlefield, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I say when it ETBs, which is just totally unnecessary jargon, it could just be enters. I think we all understand that. Yeah, and it also works with clone effects because it's not the fact that it's entering the battlefield that makes a difference. It's the conditional you're placing before it, right? When it enters the battlefield. When it enters means it's going to happen before it actually enters the battlefield. It makes sense in my head. We'll just go with it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess as it enters is different than when it enters, but you'd still be able to do both of those things. Yes. I think the other thing that's really interesting here is it will be fascinating to see when you should be attacking your battles versus when you should be attacking your opponent. I think there's going to be a lot of times and we're recording this right before the pre-release, so we'll see if this is borne out, where people are trying to attack their battles when they should just be attacking for lethal. Like, they might even just miss lethal because they're so focused on the battles. And I think multiplayer seems like a better opportunity for battles. You play one on turn four or whatever, then you have something to attack that is not an opponent. You don't have to spread it around. You can say, I'm going to attack this battle over and over. You can defend it or you cannot defend it. And so it kind of removes some of the politics from the early game attacks as well, which has the potential to be fairly neat. What do you think about that? I agree. I think that in limited, what you're going to be doing most of the time is like there's, there'd be situations where 
your opponent would have two blockers and you would have three attackers, but you'd have, I'm just making up numbers. You'd have like a two, four, a three, four or a three, three, and then like a one, one. And you might not want to attack with a one, one because your opponent could block it, just take three and you're down a card for no reason. But now you can send that one, one at a battle and chip away at it and Mm -hmm. get some value out of it. It's like attacking a planeswalker. All my creatures are going to attack the battle. Yeah. You just fogged your opponent, but like you're going to get some value out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, you ought to be casting these just for the front half. And if you somehow can get the back half, that's just like gravy. No, I agree with you. I think the rate on a lot of the front halves is a little high. And so those will probably end up seeing less play as people realize they might be harder to flip. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll have to see. We'll see how it turns out. And again, a lot of these are just great spells on their own. So yeah. like, it's just totally fine just to cast the front halves and life goes on you know you don't need to jump through the hoops like it's cool but you don't need to jump through the hoops just do the most efficient thing and move on so speaking of moving on let's talk about another it's not a mechanic but it sort of is these are incubator tokens there's a lot of cards that say like incubate in we're in as a number or incubate x and that means you're going to create a token that has n number of plus one plus one counters on it and the front half is just an artifact, and you could pay two mana to transform it to an artifact creature that's a zero zero. So basically, you hope there's some plus one, plus one counters on it, so that it's actually a creature when you flip. But it's uh, it's the first double sided token that transforms. It's both sides matter. Yeah, we've never had that before. They actually have changed the rules so that tokens can transform. That was not a thing before. Additionally, the rules change means that if you were to copy a card that can transform, it can now turn to the backside, whereas previously it couldn't, because that's one of the ways to make incubator tokens work. So that is kind of interesting, mostly applies to things like werewolves, and there are a bunch of Phyrexians in this set that can transform, but your copies can now see the backside of and actually use it. It's also a good way to remove a feel bad, because one of the things... I remember happening is people would try to copy a Huntmaster of the Fells or some really good double-sided card. And then they say, oh, can I flip it? And you're like, no, no, yeah. that's not how that works. Now you just, now you, you just say, yes, it's just an easier way to play the game. Yeah. I think it's much more intuitive and I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of that. Also always weird to put plus one, plus one counters on non-creatures. So kind of here for that one. All right. Let's talk about backup. This one is right up my alley. This excites me. It's a creature mechanic that represents the multiverse teaming up and fighting back against the Phyrexians. So when a creature with backup enters the battlefield, it gives N, usually one, but sometimes more, plus one, plus one counters equal to that backup number to a creature. It could be itself. It could be another creature. Mm -hmm. But if you do it to another creature, then it gives those counters plus until the end of turn whatever abilities come after the backup ability in the card text. So, for example, let's look at uh, Golden Scale Aeronaut. This is a common. It's four and a white for a two, three with backup one, and it has flying. So you can have this enter as a three, four flyer, or you can have this enter as a two, three flyer, put a plus one, plus one counter on something else, and that other thing gets flying until end of turn. So this, this card, for example, seems like a pretty good way to pop off a battle. You make a creature jump out of nowhere, then you're left with a slightly smaller creature, but pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's always interesting how they will delve and 
keep finding new ways and new creature mechanics. And it's it's kind of like Blood Rush here without the weird timing abilities and you really don't pump as much, but it's cool. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to give this other creature flying just for a turn, but it's cool. Like it gets a little bigger and it's a neat kind of way to show that without getting too convoluted and without having to figure out timing restrictions. As I mentioned, almost every creature is backup one. I believe there are only three creatures that are backup two. So you're generally just going to be getting this one plus one plus one counter. But a lot of times, I think it enters, you put the counter on itself, and then you have a creature with a pretty good rate. Yes. I mean, there's literally like a Baneslayer Angel that's a five mana four four flying first strike lifelink with backup one. So you can make it a 5-5, which then is Baneslayer Angel without protection from Demons and Dragons. Or you can put that counter on something else, make it like a hasty Baneslayer Angel for the turn, and then you just have this 4-4 flying first strike lifelink sticking around. I'm going to die to that a lot in draft, I'm guessing. We all are. (laughs) As are we all. Uh, Speaking of other mechanics that risen the multiverse fighting back, uh, we got Convoke. This was last seen in Standard with M15, but it's They've been putting in Commander and like reprint sets recently. If you, you can pay for spells by tapping creatures. So whenever you tap a creature, you can either remove a generic mana, or if the creature shares a color with a spell, it can remove one of the colored pips. Yeah, so for example, there's a card uh, in the set called Meeting of Minds. It's three and a blue for an instant, and it draws you two cards, but it has Convoke. So if you tap two red creatures it makes the you have to pay to finish the casting cost you need to pay a blue and a generic um if you tap a blue creature in something else it's just too generic um it just it's an easier way it treats creatures as mana sources essentially um yeah the reminder text is literally your creatures can help cast this spell so it doesn't actually reduce the cost of the spell it just turns all of your creatures into mana dorks for these cards interestingly convoke is mostly on blue and red cards in this set, it's not traditionally thought of as a blue and red mechanic. I would say green and white is where we've had it in the past. And that's just a different take. Maybe not what you would expect. So those cards that produce tokens in blue and red will probably be a little more valuable in draft. It'll be interesting to see how it plays. All right, let's move on and talk about our signature reprints. There are really only eight in the set, not counting the common gain lands that are dual lands that enter tapped, gain a life when they enter, and contempt for two colors, and the basics. First one's a hot one I did not expect to see. Monastery Mentor. Originally printed in Fate Reforged, this is two and a white for a 2-2 human monk at Mythic. It has prowess, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you make a 1-1 white monk creature token with prowess. What a hot one. Super hot. I played this in Legacy back in the day when it was legal with Sensei's Divining Top. I made a lot of monks. Uh, now it's just really plain and vintage because it has a lot of cheap na- um, non-creature spells, but it's an army in a can. Yeah. New art for yeah. fighting the Phyrexians. This card was uh, was very expensive at one point, and I'm interested to see what it can do in standard. Yes. Next is a... F- I-, I just wanted to point out because I really like this card back in the day. It's Phyrexian Gargantua. Phyrexian Gargantua is four black black for a four four Phyrexian horror, and when it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards and lose two life. This is the first time we've seen it. It's set since ninth edition, but it was originally printed in Apocalypse, along with its smaller 
Buddy Phyrexian Ra- Rager, which has been seen a ton of reprints. <laughs> it's but it's a nice throwback to the original Phyrexian Invasion. We have a little bit of that with us today. Yeah, I mean, we just got Phyrexian Rager and Dominaria Remastered, and this is literally just double Phyrexian Rager. Double the cost, double the power and toughness, double the card draw and the life loss. So, yeah, potentially a pretty sweet card. Yeah. Next is Skits. Skits is back. Skittering Surveyor. We had this in Dominaria. This is three generic mana for a 1-2 artifact creature construct a common, and when it enters, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. Just a really nice little mana fixer. So you know, good. make sure you hit those land drops. It's a really great limited card. I think it will be probably pretty good in this set. Yes. I have a very strong feeling that if you want a very good deck... In a draft, you should pick these highly because then it lets you play whatever you want. And who doesn't want to play whatever they want? I want to play whatever I want. Yeah, you will. And it's going to be great. Uh, lastly, we got Stoke the Flames. Uh, Stoke the Flames, another M15 Convoke spell. It is two red red for an instant, and it deals four to any target and has Convoke. Uh, this was a powerhouse back in the day. Yeah. I fondly remember trading my foil treasure cruise and a stoke the flames for a very nice uh, snapcaster mage the week before treasure cruise was banned and tanked that car. So just felt, felt a little bad, but uh, yeah, this is a nice card. We're going to be using it to snipe uh, creatures and battles and occasionally just go right to the face to the face. All right, are you ready for your favorite part? No. Forced obsolescence. We always talk about which cards (laughs) have made old cards obsolete. Not which are strictly better. They have to make older cards completely obsolete, so they are completely replaced. Same color, same cost or cheaper, and the same or a better effect. And we're only talking about cards that newly make a card obsolete, like Windrake is obsolete already. If there's a two and a blue, two, three flyer, we don't need to mention that. There's a better one in every set. Also... There could be some corner cases relating to creature type or turning maybe negative effects like losing life into a positive, but this is the one part of our podcast ever where we're not looking for the tiniest corner cases. No, no, just straightforward. We're being straightforward. Why don't you start us off with our first obsolescence? All right. Well, Ancient Imperiosaur, that's five green green for a six six dinosaur at rare. It has Convoke. And it has Trample and Ward 2 and enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each creature that convoked it. What a giant horrifying monster. And then obsolete what is now a comparatively sad looking Siege Worm. Five green green for a five five worm with Convoke and Trample. That was originally for Ravnica City of Guilds and we got it again in Magic 2015 and Guilds of Ravnica. Just your classic Convoke card. A little bit outclassed by the rare here. Just... Just a bit. Just a bit. Um, next, we have something that was has already been obsoleted, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, Arachnoid Adaptation is one green for a instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains reach until end of turn. Untap it. It obsoletes Vine of the Recluse, which is just the same thing, except uh, it only gives plus one, plus two. Uh, but it's JKJK. This was already obsoleted by Sudden Spinnerets, which was from Ikoria, which does the same thing as the other two, except instead of plus two, plus two, it gives plus one, plus three. And it puts and a reach counter. counter. Reach yeah. counter. 
So Yeah, a regular adaptation doesn't really obsolete anything, but it is interesting because we've never had the plus two, plus two for a single green mana before. We've had cards like Aim High at two mana, but um, and, you know, some extra ones that have little piddly other abilities, but this is a pretty nice trick at one mana. Just eat a flyer, eat another creature, or give a creature pseudo-vigilance while getting through combat, killing a battle. Yeah. Uh, combat tricks and battles could be a thing. We'll see. Could be a thing. I believe in it. All right, our next one is Cosmic Hunger. This is one in a green for an instant. A common target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature, planeswalker, or battle. This obsoletes both Bite Down and Master's Rebuke, which are the same card, except obviously they don't save battle. Next, we have Deadly Derision. Deadly Derision is two black black for an instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Create a treasure token. This obsoletes Grim Bounty, which was a house. But Grim Bounty's a sorcery, and Deadly Derision's an instant. Yeah, Grim Bounty was nasty in uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, in part because black was so good generally, but making this an instant at common is pretty nice. Pretty nice. Speaking of nice removal spells, Final Flourish, one and a black for an instant at common. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If the spell was kicked, that creature gets minus six, minus six until end of turn instead, and it has a kicker of sacrifice an artifact or creature. This obsoletes another card that was very good, Vicious Offering from Dominaria, which was the same thing, except you could only sacrifice a creature, not an artifact, and the kicker would only get you minus five, minus five. I don't think that would make a huge difference, but to print a strictly better in multiple ways, Vicious Offering, especially it lets you sacrifice your incubator tokens that you haven't flipped, is just real good. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Being able to sacrifice an artifact actually might open it up to some more constructed applicability, because while mm-hmm. you maybe don't want to sacrifice a creature, like there's a lot of random artifacts, like food tokens and stuff. So who knows? Treasures, really easy. Yeah. Treasures, yeah. And it's really easy to just snipe something for minus six, minus six. So um, huh? This one's a fun one. So Iridescent Blade Master obsoletes Devrican Dissonant. So Iridescent Blade Master is one in a green for a 2-2 Elf Warrior. And for three in a green, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Uh, Devrican Dissident is obsoleted and worse because it's literally the same card, except it costs one more generic mana to give it plus two, plus two. So that's it. And this is the, the rare full obsolete. They're both Elf Warriors. We've got the creature type and everything. Yes, apparently the elf warriors on Kaladesh are stronger than the elf warriors on Ravnica because it's all the technology. I get it. Yeah, here's a nice one: Mirin Bane Splitter, not Bone Splitter. Get it? Bane Splitter is a single red for an artifact equipment at common. It has flash. When it enters the battlefield, you attach it to target creature you control, and the equipped creature gets plus two plus zero. It also has an equip cost of three when you're not getting that initial equip. If this sounds very familiar, it's the same card as Dueling Rapier from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, but it's one cheaper to equip, which I think makes it much, much better because four on Dueling Rapier was just a lot, but it was still kind of a nice card in certain situations. Yeah, it's a good uh, good shift. Yeah. So we got Scroll Shift, which is two and a white for an instant. Exile up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control, and you draw a card. This obsoletes Acrobatic Maneuver from Kaladesh. The only difference is Acrobatic Maneuver can only target creatures, while Scroll Shift can target artifacts, creatures, and or, encha- or enchantments. So I'm really going to like this card. 
if you get any kind of enter the battlefield effect on any of those things, woof, the value. Mm. All right, we've got Vengeant Earth, which is one in a green for an instant to common target creature or land you control becomes a 4-4 elemental creature with haste in addition to its other types until end of turn, and it must be blocked this turn if able. This obsoletes Elemental Uprising, which is the same thing, except it can only target a land, not an existing creature, so it can't kind of act as a pump spell. Note here, this is a huge pump spell for incubators because they're zero zeros with counters, so they become a 4-4 with all of those counters. Note Vengeant Earth also, because it can do a creature, says it is that elemental in addition to its other types, whereas Elemental Uprising just says it's still a land. But yeah, potentially a reasonable way if they have like, I guess if they have a 3-3 and you pump your land and attack to either 3-3, but these cards are pretty underwhelming for the most part. Regardless, this is a better one. Yeah, I will say using them with incubation tokens could be interesting. So who knows? Yeah. Lastly, we have Volcanic Spite. Uh, Volcanic Spite is one in red for an instant. It deals three damage to target creature, planeswalker, or battle. And you may put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library if you do draw a card. This obsoletes Fire Prophecy from Ikoria, which Fire Prophecy did a ton of work, but Fire Prophecy only targets creatures. It does not target planeswalkers or battles. Well, obviously, battles didn't exist, but again, more options. Yeah, that was already a very good card. I think we've seen a bunch of good removal spells here, and they're just dialing them down, making them cheaper, making them more versatile. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some unique things in this set. We're going to try something a little different. We're going to just change this to new, new, cool, and unique things that come up in the set as opposed to the laundry list of things we've done before. This may not be consistent, but we just want to highlight what strikes us as cool or unique or funny in the set. And in this set, that's a lot of creature types to start. Yes, because there's a lot of team-ups. We haven't seen them in a while, and it creates some weird creature types. But before we get to the cool ones, let's talk about two that we haven't seen in a while, slash are kind of new. So we have our first real dog warrior. Before any sort of dog warriors were eroded, they were like hound warriors or something. But now we have Tarkir Dune Shaper. It's the first true dog warrior. We have a spell shaper for the first time since Future Sight in a standard legal set. It's on the back of Invasion of Mercadia, which makes sense, spell shapers being from Mercadia occasionally. Chiron Flamerite is a goblin spell shaper. A lot of these are team-ups. Before we get into them, do you have one that is a favorite? Honestly, I have to go with Human Frog Horror. Human Frog Horror is a nice one. For me, it's Fungus Rabbit. Uh, Placid Rotten Tail is not a team-up. It's just a rabbit that looks like it's been in the Last of Us TV show as an extra. Yes. Very strange. All right. So Should, you want to run down the list? So we got a Wolverine Dinosaur. Wild. We also have a Phyrexian Bear Rhino. Can you visualize what a Phyrexian Bear Rhino is, Dave? The art doesn't do justice to this monstrosity. We have the aforementioned Fungus Rabbit. We have a Cyclops hum- Homunculus. Which team-up is that? Beautiful. It's obviously Borborygmus and Fibblethip, and they, they have two eyes between them. Mm, that's all the eyes you need, baby. We have a human god, which there are two uh, human two gods. Two of them, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Vampire Angel. This is not our first Vampire Angel, for what it's worth. The first one was printed in Jumpstart, but this is the first standard legal one. We got Human Angel, Dinosaur Vampire. Not a dinosaur that's a vampire. That's the team-up one, but I wish they could make a dinosaur vampire. That'd be pretty neat. Ogre Demon Dragon. Zombie Elemental, the first since Skullbriar, which is a fave of yours. Angel Knight, 
first in the standard legal set, which is pretty neat. We've only had one other before that. Ape Dinosaur Turtle. That's not a kid's book. That is a creature. Elder Giant Dog. This isn't a team up. This is the first Phyrexian Elemental. I thought that was interesting because you could apparently make Elementals Phyrexians, which, okay, we'll just go with it. R.I.P. Omneth, I believe. Oh, so many tears. What, we got a Fairy Dwarf, which is another team up. Human Frog Horror, my favorite team up. Thalia and the Gitrog Monster, I'm just going to say it. Frog Spirit Elemental. What team up is that? Frog Spirit Elemental? Oh, I mean, that's our boy Yargle and Multani for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a human dryad, which is the Dina and Zimone team up. I just think that, or Zimone and Dina, I guess. That sounds better yeah. off the tongue. And lastly, an orc dragon. Yeah, that one's Zergo and Ojitai. I know that for sure. That's, that's kind of cool. We also have a bunch of other firsts in the set that aren't creature types. The aforementioned Yargle and Multani is our first 18-6 creature. It's also the highest power natively on a card so far. Yes. Yargle and Multani can't survive an Emrakul attack, but it can kill an Emrakul. We have our ninth 12-12. And funny enough, it's Galta and Maverin. It's funny because the original Galta was also 12-12. So basically Maverin's there for moral support and making vampires at some point. Galta's doing all the work. I mean, you see in the art that Maverin is just very tiny compared to Galta. And it probably just slowing Galta down because he built a big house on his back. So I'm going to say this version of Galta is like an 11-11 and Maverin's a 1-1. So it comes together as a 12-12. Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, we have more 12-12s than 11-11s, but there is an 11-11 in the set. The backside of Itali Primal Conqueror is Itali Primal Sickness. We haven't had one of those since good old Titanoth Rex in Ikoria. We've got some huge, huge monsters in this set. We do. But why aren't there more 11-11s? What's wrong with the number 11? I, I don't it's know. a lucky number. I'm surprised. We have our second cart ever to grant protection from colorless. It took a very long time to get that. It's usually represented with protection from artifacts, but that doesn't stop Eldrazi. So we have protection from colorless. It's also the first in standard legal set. Can you name the first ever card that gave gave protection from colorless? The first ever card that gave protection from colorless? Was it, okay, let me ask you this. Was it only protection from colorless? No, it was some other stuff too. Give me a color. White. Oh, it's, I know, it's Giver of Runes. Yes. It's cards in my modern deck, I should know this. Yes, that was why I was hoping. I was going to say, it's just like the set name, except worse, or different. (laughs) Nice. We also have six cards that transform permanence that aren't themselves double-faced cards. These join Moon Mist and Waxing Moon that would transform werewolves. But, yeah, they just let you transform other things. There are a lot of cards in the set that care about transforming, which is interesting. Also, to be a, pen, a, pendant, a pendant, 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 I don't know. Pendant about this. is what you're looking for. Pendant. Yes. This doesn't count. There's some cards that flip cards over. Those were in Onslaught. We don't talk about those. those yeah, it trans- doesn't technically transform them. That's right. Yeah. We have our first spell that can't be copied. Ah, hate it. That's C double, a rare that also lets it makes copies. You just can't copy it. Boo. Boo. Now, I'm guessing. It's so you can't copy it on the stack? I don't care. No, because it, it wouldn't be off the stack if it resolved. Yeah, you can't target it. I mean, I guess you, you could just cast it and then cast a second one and have the second one copy the first one and then you just make infinite copies of it? I don't care. You want to do it ha- anyway? Uh, let us have that, Wizards. What the hell? 
All right. We have our very first card that has a restriction on what you can shuffle back into your deck based on mana value. That's Oracle of Tragedy, an uncommon. That is it, actually, I'll read this one. It's a really cool. It's one of the blue for a 1 3 human wizard. When it enters the battlefield or dies, you get to choose one. You can either loot, you draw a card, or discard a card, or you can shuffle up to four cards with mana value three or greater from your graveyard into your library. Kind of a kind of a weird effect on that, like a weird Gaz blessing. I kind of like the restriction on it because it stops some like combo shenanigans, and I, I'd love to see if that's going to be more of a thing going forward. Yeah, it basically, just means you can't shuffle other ones of these back into your deck. Yeah, you can't loop it for, for loop to loops. Boo! Okay, we have our first equipment that only gains instructability until end of turn, which is Bladed Battle Fan. Normally, equipment gives, if it gives a creature indestructible, it's forever and ever. But this is just basically like um, a spell, like one of those black combat tricks. There are three cards that give Surveil on death triggers. The first since City Watch Sphinx, which was from uh, Guilds of Ravnica. And I kind of like that. It's like, what do, we, what do you want to put in the graveyard with me? It's great. We have our first standard legal land cyclers since Alara block. Awesome. Yeah, nice little common cycle of land cyclers. There are two cards in this set, close to my heart, because they would, if you put a plus one, plus one counter on an artifact or creature, you put an extra one on. That's Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, and Kami of Whispered Hopes. So plus one, plus one counter thing may really be going off here. It may be. And Kami of Whispered Hopes is interesting because it's permanent, not just artifact mm-hmm. or creature. So... shenanigans we have our 21st standard legal card with a casting of wooberg that's exactly wooberg print urza academy headmaster into standard cowards they should (laughs) all right here's a weird one archangel elspeth gives a creature flying permanently it doesn't put a flying counter on it nope presumably because the same ability that does that also puts two plus one plus one counters on a creature, and that might be confusing, but this is literally what flying counters are for. So instead, we're just riding the Dilu horse. Yeah. Which, for those of you who don't know that reference, there was a card riding the Dilu horse from Portal Three Kingdoms that was like two and a green for a sorcery, and it gave a creature plus two plus two in horsemanship, but not until end of turn. Just did. It would just get plus two plus two and horsemanship forever, yeah. like it was an enchantment, but it wasn't. It just tattooed the creature with this ability yeah yeah really weird that it does that especially because there's another card in the set with flying counters it's like why why are we doing this this is kind of crazy this is the first set without mythic or rare lands since new phyrexia we're talking 12 years of sets that have had at least one rare mythic land broken the streak that is pretty wild i guess it's very flavorful that we're doing it when we're back on new phyrexia and every other plane why do lands when you could just do battles for each plane? Yeah. And finally, the sword cycle is complete with Sword of Once and Future. This is the mythic cycle of three mana equipment that give plus two, plus two, and protection from two colors. And then when the, you deal combat damage to a player with the equipped creature, you get some ability. So, Christian, I'm going to ask you to give us the official sword power rankings now that we have all ten. One through ten. Or should we yes. go ten through one? Let's do 10 through 1, because okay. I think that'd be really worst interesting. Best. Yeah, so let's start with the worst. The worst is Sinew and, Sinew and Steel. Sinew and Steel is the black and red one. It is bad. It's the worst one by a long shot. Agree. Yes. Awful. Ninth is Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is the white and blue one. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, you put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control, then proliferate. 
Yeah. Agree number nine. Yep. Number eight is the new one, Once in Future, because it just doesn't look that good. I don't know. Agreed. Number eight on my list as well. Seven, Hearth and Home. Hearth and Home is the green and white one. When it deals combat damage to player, you can flicker a creature and you ramp to search your library for basic land. Eh, it's fine. I don't know. Eh. Eh. That is also my number seven. Do we have the perfect list here? We might. My number six is Forge and Frontier. Ah. Uh, for the record, we're at the point where everything above is super playable and, and I think is just good in general. I think this and my number five are so close that it could go either way. Well, my number six is Sword of War and Peace. That is the red and white one. Yes, yeah, so that was my number five. Okay, my number five was Forge and Frontier. So we, we switched those. Let's let's get back to it and see if we can line up in the top four, which I think are probably pretty clear. Number four is Light and Shadow. That's the white and black one. Do you agree with that? Yep. Yep. Number three is Body and Mind. That's the blue and green one. Yep, love that one. Great and limited. Number two, Fire and Ice, the red and blue one. I agree. Yeah, and then lastly, we have the best one, which is Feast and Famine, Green and Black, Ruin Standard. And Feast and Famine, Commander really puts that one over the top, because when you do a combat damage to a player, they discard, but you also untap all your lands. Mm. So kind of busted in that format. And then, of course, there's the S-tier sort of Dungeons and Dragons, which was originally from the Hasbro Comic-Con set or Has Hascon set. But what's wrong? Why are you? That's a no from me, dog. That's, that's a no that's... from me? That's below getting hit by a car. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was a Hascon promo, and then they printed it in Unstable. And it gives plus two, plus two protection from rogues and from clerics. So high value. And then whenever a creature deals combat damage to a player, you make a 4-4 gold dragon creature token with flying, and then you roll a d20. And if you get a nat 20, you get to do it again. And then you get to roll again. So you just get to keep rolling. They actually made a gold dragon token for this card. Pretty sweet. I don't like rolling die in my magic game. That's that's why it's the worst one. Wow. Yeah. AFR hater over here. Okay, that's fine. Yes. A couple tokens to talk about too. I just want to mention the baby Kraken. There's yeah. a 1-1 Kraken with Trample because it's from Segovia, the plane where everything is small. And if you don't know, there was a card printed in Legends called Segovian Leviathan that was a 3-3. And people kind of made jokes about it, like this what, this Leviathan is a 3-3. Three, three. That doesn't make any sense, especially when the dark came out and there was literally a card called Leviathan that was a 10-10. And so it became an ongoing joke that it's a plane where everything is very small. So when we saw Segovian Angel in one of the Modern Horizon set, it was, a, I believe, a 1-1 one, one Flying Vigilance, just a tiny Sarah Angel. So, so Invasion of Segovia, you get to make some tiny 1-1 one, one tokens and then beautifully, if you flip the battle, the backside of it is a 3-3 three, three legendary serpent. Love the yeah. call. Love the call out. Love the reference. We have Wormcoil Engine tokens again. Well, they're Phyrexian Hydras for Pelucranos, but I just thought it was funny that you could use them as, as Wormcoil Engine tokens in a pinch. Yeah, they're pretty close. One of them has Reach instead of Death Touch, which is a little, little less yeah. whelming. But I like that they do the Phyrexian thing. There's even a Phyrexian Sapperling in this set, which is like RIP little fungi. Oh, um, and then we talked about incubators, which I think is definitely the most interesting one here as the first transforming token. Yes, there's a lot of great cards that make incubators, so get used to seeing them. I would like to complain about something. There are okay. two there are two cards that bake one ones with a lifelink. One makes them with soldiers, which I believe is Elspeth, and the other is vampires with lifelink. 
and that is Galta and Maverin, and that is dumb. Why are there two separate ones? I get it for flavor reasons. It's still dumb. Like they do the same exact thing. They're just different names. It makes me mad. That is fair. Well, how do you feel about a first mate Ragavan token? They already have one. That's the original Ragavan, bro, before they broke him in half. Uh, That is not the original Ragavan, my friend. Oh, it had Menace. Oh, I forgot. No, it didn't have Menace. It was just a 2-1 monkey. That's correct. But he got a promotion. He was was originally just Ragavan. No, he was already first mate. Now he's first mate Ragavan. Yeah, he was already first mate, though. That was implied. It was implied. Wow. Malarkey. Wow. Well, he gets the title now. Come on. Let him him have this. He's he's been doing such great work on his own card. He got, he got, he's a Nepo baby. Come on. Oh, Carrie Zev. Carrie in a rather monkey in a pouch. Let's talk about counters. As always, we have plus one, plus one counters and loyalty counters. We've mentioned defense counters that are on battles. Those are new. And then we have stun counters. We have a flying counter and we have poison counters, but uh, no weird counters in the set. No, just just a lot of rehashes. Stun counters, now that they're evergreen, we'll just assume there's going to be one or two cards that maybe reference it, but yeah. Well, let's talk about special frames like we always do. Uh, We'll preface this by saying the extended arts from the collector boosters are always great. We always love those. How about the Showcase and Multiverse Legends cards? These are both in the regular set and in the Multiverse Legends sheet. I personally think they're great. I love all the callbacks to the old art styles that we've seen as these special arts for the past couple of years. And what's crazy is they introduced some ones that we haven't been to yet, or we've been to, but they didn't have those uh, special art card series yet. So uh, what, th- what ones were, have we not seen yet that were introduced with March in the Machine? We have a new frame for Ixalan that's like a coin with really interesting like feathers and kind of a Mesoamerican theme. We also have Ravnica, where there is, it's a city on the side and some kind of city building domes on the top. And then the last one is, what is the last one? I don't remember. I think it's Tarkir. Oh, Tarkir. That's right. Yeah, there are a few cards from Tarkir. The ones of Tarkir are grayscale because it's like a callback to the past is what oh, my guess is. So. That makes sense. They also are printing those from Amonkhet with regular text instead of the impossible to read text. And I have to say, I hate it. I love hate it. it. I hate uh, it. They, look, they just look weird. Yeah, the impossible to read text was bad, mostly because there were a bunch of other symbols in it. But if they had just done these with some kind of something in between regular text and that text, they just look wrong. No, they look right now. And I am down. They look horrible and I hate them. Well, so there. There are also, as always, some borderless planeswalkers. There are three borderless planeswalkers. And those are great. I mean, I definitely like those. And there are also a couple alternate art borderless cards for the new Praetors. And I believe those are only the serialized versions have the particular art. So if you get one that is out of 500, you'll, you'll see that. But yeah, not a lot in this set. And I agree, they are super cool to see a bunch of these come back. I like it when they're mixed together because we've talked about previously how some of these don't really land well, but mm-hmm. when you see them with the other arts they've done, it's nice. It actually makes them more special. Yeah, I'm surprised they like the Kaladesh invention frames when yeah. they are just on these random creatures. All right, let's talk about our secret reach card. Reasons that's a featured creatures that for some reason nobody notices have reach and attack their flyers right into. 
we may be guilty of this, we may not. Recent examples are Marius Outrider from Dominaria United and Rock Hunter from The Brothers War. Christian, what is your secret reach card for the set? What are you going to chump attack into repeatedly? So this one is literally a secret reach card. It is Zilt Ortha, Apex of Ikoria, the back mm. half of Invasion of Ikoria, which is a battle. Uh, it's a combo of a new card type, right? Like we haven't played battles a lot, so people will kind of tunnel vision forget there's a back half. Um, and it's also the reach to the back. You're going to forget. And it's a dumb 8-8 creature and dumb. It's just stupid. Yeah, so. it definitely looks like it should have trample. Also, this is the first paper printing of a Zalortha, a card that was represented by the Biobox promo in Ikoria as a Godzilla. And it said, you know, oh, this is actually like Zalortha X name. But now we have a Zalortha card in paper. Mine is War Historian. This is a common that's two and a green for a 3-3 human monk. It has reach. And it has indestructible as long as it attacked a battle this turn. Having this have reach is weird because this card's whole thing is just attacking battles and it's a centaur courser. Those don't usually have reach. It's common, so you're going to see it a lot, but you're just not going to realize, oh, I can't attack my 2-2 into that. Yeah, it's it's going to be weird. Let's talk about my least favorite segment, my truly least favorite segment in the entire podcast. Yes, that's yeah. Tongue Twister. Inspired by our favorite magic tongue twister, thanks to David Lyford Tilly introducing us to this. It is Click Slither, Quicksilver. Uh, nope, got that wrong. I don't care. I hate it. So what's our choice this time? Quick Slither, Click Slither, Quick Sliver. I can do it about that fast, and that's it. Nope, nope, nope. Well, we thought about a lot. You actually went through and did the list this time because I was so horribly jet-lagged. I was unable to do it. So thank you. I know how much you hate that. You did a ton of these show notes, so kudos to you. But what is your selection for Best Tongue Twister? Elspeth's Might. Yeah, Elspeth's Yeah, Elspeth's Elspeth Smite is hard to say five times fast. I completely agree. And people are going to say Elspeth Smite. 100%. Yes. Or they're just going to say Elspeth Shifts, like I did. For the record, too, we have some new planes, or planes that we haven't been to in, like, literally forever. So you're going to have some weird pronunciations in the set. Uh, do what you want with them, because wizards will never tell us. So that works out. <laughs> it's just fighting so hard for that pronunciation guide. Looking forward to MagicCon Minneapolis coming up at the beginning of May, in which I'm going to ask every Wizards employee I can find to get us a pronunciation guide. I've talked with Blake Rasmussen. I've talked with Mark Rosewater. I've talked to Gavin Verhey. There's going to be more people. I'm going to get them all. We're going to do it. I'm going to collect them all. So new segment. We wanted to add something. The best flavor text. Christian, what italicized text is your favorite in the set? Uh, so this one was spoiled really early, and we're going to introduce Memory Jar Theater for our lovely audience. For this showing of Memory Jar Theater, uh, David Presswood will be playing Multani, and Christian Wright will be playing Yargle from the card Yargle and Multani in the set March of the Machine. Take it away. I've heard much about you from my daughter, Multani rumbled. There was a time when I'd balk at your aid, Phantom, but she has shown me the merit in Urborg's strange ways. <laughs> Replied Yargle. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent flavor text. Yes. I agree with you, that's the best. My honorable mention goes to Cyba Cryptomancer, which reads, Good luck getting through a Class 7 proxy ward, creep, as the Cryptomancer's throwing some kind of magic ward at a uh, Phyrexian behind her. And this is 
cracked me up because it's a reference to a like mid aughts or like late aughts, early 2010s meme that when people on the internet would get mad, like, I'm going to find you, you would say, good luck, I'm behind seven proxies. And they just totally <laughs> threw a reference to it in this flavor text, which is really funny to me. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. My honorable mention is etched familiar. It's just no refunds, which is it's Frexing Fox. So yeah, they don't want it, but it just funny, abrupt works with the car. Yeah, poor, poor filigree familiar. It's a d- direct reference to the vendor who is selling filigree familiar in that card's flavor text. And then it's like, yeah, well now he's, he's not going to take it back. No, no. All right. The last thing we usually do in these is suggestions from our listener, Camilla, who said it might be fun to hear something like a common, uncommon, and rare you think are well-designed, exemplify the set, or just excite you one way or another. Christian, what is your common? My common is stealing your thunder. It's Fertilid's favor. Uh, it's mm-hmm. three and a green for an instant. Target player searches their library for a basic land card, puts it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffles. Put two plus one plus one counters onto one target artifact or creature. It's Fertilid. It's Fertilid as a spell. And I love it. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite cards for a long time was Fertilid. I will let you have that one because I am going with one of these common land cyclers. I just think they're very cool. This is Alabaster Host Intercessor. It's five and a white for a three, four for Xing Samurai. Well, why would you want that? Because when it enters the battlefield, you exile target creature and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. So it's a six mana, three, four fiend hunter or banisher priest or whatever. But it also has plane cycling for two generic mana, which means you discard it and you search your library for a planes card, put it in your hand and then shuffle. So if you can't cast it or if you're stuck on lands, you don't really want to do it. But yeah, you just pay two mana and discard this and then you go get a land a planes this rules this is such a great utility card i will play some of these in every deck if i can get them i mean we're just going to tip our hand on a draft strategy here uh all the planes all the land cyclers cost two generic mana so it might not be in your colors but if you're playing a splash play the swamp cycler go for it or the mountain cycler you're not going to regret it yeah if you have say you have a two card splash like if I had two of the two, let's say I had two of the white one, I'm splashing in a blue green deck. Well, okay, well, I'm going to put one planes in my deck. Either I draw one of these and I go get the planes or I already have the planes and then I just play this card. It's perfect. Yes. It's a hot one. It's, it's a hot one. one. That's probably Which, a bad strategy, but that's the strategy I will be undertaking. Absolutely. It's the best strategy in my opinion. What is your uncommon choice? That's going to be Kedra Spellspear. It's one in a red for a 2-2 Jackal Warrior with Trample. It has prowess. So 2-2 Trample Prowess is already like a little annoying, but you can pay three and a Phyrexian Blue to transform it only as a sorcery. So that means you can pay three generic mana and a blue mana or three generic mana and two life to make it Gitaxian Spellstalker. This is a 3-3 Phyrexian Jackal with Trample, Ward 2, Prowess, Prowess. That's right. You had me at Prowess, Prowess. I do like that they put up reminder text each instance of prowess triggers separately. Yes, we, we know that's why it's on the card twice. So yeah, a 3-3 trample with ward two that's kind of annoying to remove. And then if you cast an instant or sorcery, it becomes a 5-5. Five, five. And that's just if you do it to one. You could that's very cool. easily be like, turn two, play the card. Turn three, pay the mana and two life. Now you're attacking with a 3-3 three, three trample. And then next turn, just start whipping out instants and sorceries. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It like, um, it's so good. This is also the first prowess creature with trample. 
which is appropriate. So you oh, can't really chump, that cool. Yeah, you can't really chump block it well. So it, it's just a fantastic card. Like this, this the front half you can play on your own. Like if it was just the front half, I'd be pumped for it. No pun intended. But the fact that you also can have this stupid back half, very, very, very good. Very good. I'm going to choose Render Inert. Render Inert is two and a black for a sorcery. And it just says remove it to five counters from target permanent and draw a card. I like this because I feel like this is going to be the best way to steal battles or to not steal, shortcut battles. So instead of having to attack it, you just cast Render Inert. You get a free battle. It's a two card combo, at least it can, can trips, but it also works with plus one plus one counters and loyalty counters, I guess. I don't know. It works with a lot of stuff, and yeah. I'm excited to use it. Yeah, this kills planeswalkers. It does all kinds of stuff. This, you know, it's a very reasonable card and it replaces itself. So seems good. Yeah. What about a rare? I stole your thunder again. We were talking about this. You were like, oh, this is a Dave card. And I said, yes, it is. It is your card. I I apologize. Uh, It's Rona, Herald of Invasion. So the front half is one and a blue for a 1-3 human wizard. It's legendary. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, you untap it. You could tap to draw a card, then discard a card. So it's a Merfolk looter. Love Merfolk looters. And you can play five and a Phyrexian black. So either five and a black or five and two life to transform it. Uh, Only when you can activate a sorcery. And the back half is a Phyrexian Obliterator. So more text, I apologize. Becomes a, it becomes Rona, Talarian Obliterator. It's a 5-5 legendary Phyrexian Wizard. Trample, whenever a source deals damage to Rona, that source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. This card looks fun as hell. I am so excited to play it. Yeah, this is very much a kind of fiddly nonsense card that I'm very into. And then the backside letting you cast your opponent's spells. This is this is the prime Rona, as she says in the flavor text, at last I am complete. She's very happy to be the uh, the obliterator. Yes, well, and you all, this also works with your spells too, as a way to play your spells. That's true. Yeah, you could deal damage to this. It's uh, what was the effect from Ixalan called? Cared about you dealing damage to your own creatures. Oh, enrage. Enrage. Yeah, you get to enrage her into obliterator mode. Well, if you're going to pick a, a me card, I'm going to pick another me card, but an even bigger, stupider one. This is Atali Primal Conqueror. It is five red, red for a seven, seven legendary elder dinosaur with trample. It says, when it enters the battlefield, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. You may cast any number of spells from among the non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost. So, one for my opponent, one for me. And then, there's a casual nine and a Phyrexian green, so ten mana or nine and two life, uh, to transform it as a sorcery. And the backside is our old friend Blightseal Colossus. It is a Tali Primal Sickness, an 11-11 legendary Phyrexian Elder Dinosaur with Trample, Indestructible, and when it deals combat damage to a player, they get that many poison counters. So, yeah. just a casual, uh, maybe maybe get you with the one shot. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very good. Well, how do you feel about the set overall? It looks really interesting. I want to play with it before I make any sort of judgment, but I like all the callbacks. I think it's a little busy because there's just a lot going on. So if I was a new player and this is my first pre-release, I would be in over my head. I have no idea what I was doing, even worse than before. But I, You're not I sure how you would handle uh, draft boosters with a rare slot, a battle slot, a transform slot, and a multiverse legend slot? That'd be past me. I would... Too many cards, and they're all references. And, like, 
if I open Elish Nord Grand Cenobite and Elish Norn, can I play both of them? Why are there mm -hmm. two Elish Norns? You know. Well, and there's you know the five color rare you mentioned. There's a bunch of cards that have multiple colored pips. You know, two red, red, green, green. You've got Berberogus and Fibblethip, which we talked about, is a three colored card. And there's just a ton of gold cards that are very big and expensive. And it's going to be really interesting to see how those fit in. Can you just take them and play them, or is it going to be too aggressive? How many of these tap duels can you get and play? Hopefully a lot. Hopefully this is a weird, slow, multicolored explosion. Yeah. Uh, it looks like that. So, But I don't know. They keep printing good one and two drops that you actually have to get on board against. So we'll see how it turns out. I will say I feel bad for if, if you're an absolutely new player because this is basically Time Spiral Light. <laughs> yeah and so there's just you're gonna have people like oh man you open this cool like itali itali's the best i love itali and then they're gonna be like i don't know what that means it's a, a huge card but i have no idea what you're talking about right like yeah. it is just dense and that's fine it dense we'll and or yes all right well before we go christian i'm gonna hand you the reins here Mm, thank you. Thank you. This is also a reference to mom. It's going to be a quick one because we have a long episode, but why are there cards in our pre-release kits that can't be played at the pre-release? And they're one of three different ones, so it's not consistent. They're commander why? exclusives. Yes. They're all pairs. There's Gorogoro and Satoru, Katilda and Lear, and Slimefoot and Squee. They also have showcase versions. Yes. I I don't know. It's a weird thing to do. Are they trying to well, get more people to go to pre-releases? Because is anybody going to go to a pre-release for just one of these cards? That, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Well, the worst part is you can't say, oh, when you, when you start your pre-release, right, if you're a judge, you can't say, oh, just don't play with this cards that have a different set symbol on them. Because there's also the Multiverse sure. Legends cards. And those have a different set symbol on them. But those are you can play at the pre-release. Right. I think that somebody at some point is going to be like, uh, interesting, you're playing Slimefoot and Squee in your deck. I think we might need to call a judge and work this one out. And I mean, the fix so. is really easy because it's just replacing a basic land. But like to give our listeners more context, it used to be for a long time with pre-releases, you would get a pre-release card and everyone got the same card. Eventually, with the start of Return to Ravnica, you picked a... F well, and, and everyone got the same card, and you could not play it in your deck. Let's be Yeah, clear. you cannot play in your deck, yes. And starting with Return to Ravnica, when you picked which guild you're going, you're going to play, you got to play with the pre-release card you picked, but everyone in your guild got the same one, right? And that was kind of the trend there for a little bit, where, you know, you could get some... You get whatever cut, like Theros did the same thing. And then they just switch to the system now where a random rare or mythic is just gets a stamp and that becomes your pre-release foil that you can play with, but it just has a special stamp signifying you're at the pre-release. Or if it's me, yours is just unplayable. Well, I mean, I didn't go into whether it's playable or not because I've opened quite a few unplayable promos in my life. <laughs> but... yeah, all, all of mine. I still have a hedron alignment in the little plastic sleeve from a pre-release kit. So I think I sold. Oh, you mean I don't have four of these in different zones to win the game? No, I just have one. Okay, good, good to know. 
the Xlon one I got was awful. I just remember that. But yeah, anyway, so it's yeah. just kind of disappointing because these three cards are all actually really good. They all work with cards in the set, but you can't play them. So I, I just don't I just don't get why they want to make this confusing. Yeah. My bone to pick is that one of the theme deck exclusive cards is Surak and Gorklaw. And I want to be able to play with the human and bear who presumably after they defeat the Phyrexians will immediately start punching each other to death in uh, my regular draft. But I will have to pick up a copy for Muddle Green Bears sometime after this. Bears. So that's, that's my rant. Thank you for listening. Yep. It's a good rant. Well, thank you for the rant. And thanks to everyone else for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at our handle at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback, and please tell us what cards you want to remember. Again, special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, you maybe can find Chris on Twitter at, at CMYCompany. That's company with a K. I still need to ask him if he's on different social media networks. That will happen before our next episode. And enjoy the pre-release. Enjoy the march of the singular machine, not the multiple machines. And don't touch the black oil. Hope you all have a fantastic time, and we will see you soon.